welcome to the Apex Life podcast from Apex Life Media. That's a capital A, a capital P, a lowercase e, and a capital X. And that stands for Ancient Philosophical Christianity. I contend that the goal of life in ancient philosophical Christianity is to reach the apex of what it means to be a human, the best human a person can be. My name is Tim Side. I'm an independent scholar and the author and publisher of the book Rewriting Paul, original translations of 1 Thessalonians, Galatians, Philippians, Philemon, and Romans. A long list to say, not 1 and 2 Corinthians. My PhD is from Brown University, and I've worked in higher education administration for 17 years, and during most of those years taught several courses a year in New Testament studies. My spouse and I currently live in Indiana, where we raised five daughters, and we have five grandchildren, with one on the way. At the end of the last podcast, I was talking about my last years uh, at Brown University in the PhD program in the Religious Studies Department in the History of Religions Early Christianity program. So I said that I would talk some about the quest for the historical Jesus. And it's really also connected to my own quest for Jesus. In uh, grad school and elsewhere, I'd read many of the books that have been written on the quest for the historical Jesus, the history of it, and then different uh, approaches that uh, people were taking uh, in the 80s. I think I accepted the traditional model that people talk about, the referred to as a Markan priority, that the Gospel of Mark was written first, the Gospels of Luke and Matthew then made use of Mark, but both of them also used the saying source that have been, has been labeled Q for quella, the German word for source, the Q, and both of them used their own independent sources. So this Q is, consists of mainly sayings and is Jewish in character, and was used as a historical source. As a, so it's a source by two, two different uh, traditions, so it has a better weight as a historical source. So in this way, it was assumed then to be an early record of the oral tradition of what people remembered Jesus said in Aramaic. So in, in my book, I talk a little bit about how I feel about that now. So just to be clear, I'm, I'm questioning whether we actually do have some record of an oral tradition. Uh, we only have that tradition in the Gospels, written in Greek, composed apparently in Greek. There's nothing really that says that it wasn't. So if there was an oral tradition in Aramaic, then when it was written down at some point then, in writing it down, it was translated into Greek then, if that's the, the theory one holds to. My other problem is that is that I find um, very little of the gospel tradition in the letters of Paul. So the letters of Paul are our first written sources for early Christianity. And he doesn't doesn't use that tradition. The end of First Corinthians is it the fifteen that he he talks about this tradition that was passed on to him about the the Last Supper. But otherwise, he he also in Corinthians um, refers to something that Jesus said, and that's not in 
the uh, Gospels. So what I think is that I find it difficult to believe that if that oral tradition was around, that Paul that wouldn't have heard about it, that somebody wouldn't have told him, and he would have known about it. And I then can't believe if he had known about it, that he wouldn't have written about it. So that's the quandary I find myself in that has led me to think of the Gospels as being a, a later literary compositions that are that come out of the the literary movement of of writing the life of somebody, the lives, the bioi, along with uh, the writing of the novel. So the tradition of writing Greek novels was just beginning in this period. So at some point, I'm going to spend some time doing more work on that. I think at the time in my uh, graduate program, for a long time, I think I held to uh, my kind of evangelical beliefs, even if I wasn't, uh, I hadn't replaced them with anything else. So, but I remember taking a class with Burton Mack, uh, one of those who are part of the Jesus seminar, uh, writing a lot about the historical Jesus so we took a class with him on Wisdom of Solomon, and I think part of that uh, was, was reading the uh, off-prints, I think it's called, of, of his book. So I find it very troubling, and I remember that I, I wrote... So I think... I um, can't remember now whether we also had a class with him on the Gospel of Mark. I remember the class in Wisdom of Solomon. We read, uh, read, Greek, read the Greek of Wisdom of Solomon in the seminar. So I don't know what I, why I was writing a paper for him uh, on the Gospel of Mark. But what I did in the title is that I put the title Gospel According to Mac, M-A-C-K. And I kind of showed it to him. And at first he didn't see it. And then I pointed out. And then he, but he was he's a delightful person. And he laughed. I still remember that when I would read and translate on the fly from Wisdom of Solomon that he... He would show his pleasure at, uh, at a good translation, and it was great feedback. So at some point, I must have become disillusioned that uh, if I didn't have an evangelical Jesus, then I didn't have a Jesus at all. I had nothing to fill the vacuum. And for whatever reason, I don't think I was satisfied with uh, any other alternate type of Christianity, such as the social gospel or other types of uh, liberal Christianity. It just didn't set well with me. That wasn't my tradition. So without my tradition, I didn't have anything to, with which to replace it. So we did um, attend church at first when I started at Brown University. So this is uh, 1986 to 1996 that we were living in Rhode Island. We attended the First Baptist Church in America in Providence, and I even got to preach there uh, one Sunday morning did a lot of work in studying the Baptist tradition, going back to Roger Williams, uh, learning about the American Baptist Church uh, denomination, its structure, its mission. We moved to West Warwick after a year, West Warwick, Rhode Island, or as they, they pronounced it there, Warwick, West Warwick. There is a Warwick, but separately there is a West Warwick. So we lived there until uh, a little bit after graduation, there was a time there that uh, we didn't attend church, and I had a, a personal crisis in my life that uh, really 
that threw me for a loop, as you might say, and I looked to my Christian faith, but I needed to do it in an intellectually honest way, and so that's what I set out to do. I had met some academics who attended churches where I attended, and they would use the language of the church and would intentionally disguise the fact that they meant something completely different than the language that, that people were using. I didn't want to do that, and, um, and I didn't have any pressure to conform to anyone's theology or denominational tenets. So in West Warwick, we did find an American Baptist church, Phoenix Baptist Church, F-P-H-E-N-I-X, and we met some great people there and had a wonderful time becoming a part of, of their community and still have uh, some friendships from there. As I, as I have said, there were times where I would, I would lean towards uh, wanting to become an academic. Then I would lean more towards uh, becoming a, a pastor. So I began doing pulpit supply around uh, Rhode Island and Massachusetts uh, for vacationing pastors. I enjoyed sermon preparation and delivery, but I, to some extent, I think I was using those sermons to sort of work out my own understanding of Christianity. Uh, in my notes, I've written that I often subjected congregations to my innovations. At some point, I talked with the denominational executive about ordination, since uh, being a pastor in the denomination required ordination. Turns out that the denomination wouldn't ordain me without a seminary Master's of Divinity degree. And there was no way that, having nearly completed my PhD at that point, was I going to go back to seminary. So I gave up on that. One thing I haven't really talked about was the way in which computing became a big part of my life during grad school. And I like to think that maybe it took me 10 years to, to finish because I spent a lot of time working with uh, computers, learning about computers. So before I went to Brown, I had been eager to, to buy a computer. I had, um, I'd look around in shops and try to talk my wife into it. She was uh, smart enough to know that wasn't a good idea. While at Wheaton College, I did buy an electronic typewriter. It was a pretty nifty typewriter with a small LCD screen, only a couple of lines of text visible at a time, but I could type a complete 20-page term paper and then print it out with a, with a special ribbon. I had some experience, uh, well, a couple of weeks maybe, with computers in college. Uh, I, I signed up for uh, class in the computer language basic, but I had to drop out it for after a couple of weeks because it was uh, it was it was through the math department. It was a math professor teaching the class, and he was only interested in in students using computers to do math, like writing programs to figure out probability and statistics. And uh, I I just couldn't do that. I couldn't get help, and I had to drop out. It just so happened that. In 1986, when I showed up in Providence, Rhode Island, in the Religious Studies Department and in the graduate student uh, computer room, they were just beginning. Uh, the Mac Plus computer had just come out, and there were some Mac computers in there. And there was, in fact, an Apple Lisa computer that had been put away in the, in the closet 
in that room. And I remember kind of looking at it just to have my taste of one of the first Apple computers uh, to come out. And as I thought, I, I fell in love with the computers. I absorbed everything I could about computers, about formatting documents. I began learning computer programming. I found a group of people at Brown who were, I would say, at the vanguard of humanities computing. I remember these people talking about this new concept of hypertext, of language markup. And we were beginning to use this new type of markup language on the mainframe computer that would then output postscript uh, printing to the postscript printer. Uh, it was uh, exciting times. I would attend that group and the guy there, uh, I consider him my computer mentor, who's uh, now a professor and was dean for a while at a prestigious school of information science. He nurtured me in text programming, found me work formatting books for the university. I did the telephone directory at Brown University for a number of years. And then I prepared um, books uh, for printing for professors and, uh, and a graduate student, I remember. I taught myself programming languages. Uh, there was uh, the Rex programming language on the mainframe. I began learning Pascal because it was available on the mainframe. And then I, I spent some time learning C. And then when HyperCard came out, I learned the HyperTalk programming language. And uh, at some point, I, I studied, well, JavaScript and then in Java. Never really that good at it, I, would, I wouldn't think anybody would say. I was fascinated with it, enjoyed doing it. Another thing with computers at that time is that it was uh, the beginning of of uh, institution, I guess it is, uh, that were that was producing at that time on CD-ROM, the Thesaurus Lingua Graecae, and they would say all of Greek literature on a CD-ROM, and I got to be one an early user tester of it, and. Um, Spent a lot of time with that and even got uh, sent by IBM to Georgetown to some kind of a conference of some sort to demonstrate how one would use uh, the TLG. And as you might find out, if you go ahead and read the prologue of my book, Rewriting Paul, uh, I talk about now using the TLG online, and I've, I've made a lot of use of that. All of this um, computer work uh, led me to be able to get a job at at a Kinko's in West Warwick, uh, working part time, and and then um, later I'd become a computer service, a full time computer services manager. So in my notes, uh, I see that I had at one point wrote about that there were four years I took a leave of absence working for a printing company. And then that I looked back at it and discovered that it was only two years. It only felt like four years. A windowless room inside of a printing company, practically chained to a desk for eight hours, creating ads for uh, fundraising booklets. That was a difficult time. So after I had worked there, I was able finally to, to quit that job and for a year, uh, stay at home while uh, my wife, Sue Ann, went to work. 
She'd been working for uh, companies that uh, provided nursing care. So she was kind of a one who would schedule home nurses and, and so on. So at the end of my program at Brown, I passed my comprehensive exams. I demonstrated enough facility with Greek, Latin, German, and French. was not easy. I think they let me slip a little bit by. I was to propose a dissertation topic, and Stan Stowers had suggested I look at Paul's use of synchrosis comparison in 1 Corinthians. So I began researching what synchrosis was, uh, writing out of a comparison that uh, as young boys were taught uh, rhetoric, they would have an exercise of writing out a synchrosis. Plutarch's lives, if you've ever looked at those, there would be a life uh, about a Greek person and then a Roman person, then be followed by a synchrosis, a comparison of the two. While I was researching this, um, I, I, I used the, the, the TLG to, to look for the, the characteristic of uh, syncrases, which is two Greek particles that would be used in this way we use on the one hand, on the other hand, called the men-de construction. And I found that this construction shows up in in the book of Hebrews. As I was looking at that, I found in a commentary, in an appendix, by um, a reference to a book by Gunther Zuntz on the text of the epistles. And that's where I got started with the idea that Hebrews contained comparisons. And, and so I, I made the proposal. Stan Stowers uh, approved it, but he told me, Hebrews wasn't his area of study. He wouldn't be of much help to me. So I went away for a year, wrote my dissertation, came back and submitted it to him and uh, successfully defended the dissertation. It is within this study that uh, of synchrosis that I realized that uh, the traditional interpretation of Hebrews is that Judaism was now superseded by Christianity and the old system was done away, but that an important element of constructing a persuasive synchrosis was that something good was compared to your subject, which you showed then to be even better, that it would be a weak argument to say something that was agreed to be inferior and then show how your subject is superior. So therefore, the author of Hebrews, by choosing that literary device, was setting forth the ancient covenant as God's work among God's people. That was something good, but showing by comparison that it had not been effective, and therefore God's new covenant would prove to be an effective way to bring God's people to the ultimate stage of their development. When I graduated uh, from from Brown, I I began sending out uh, my CV to to colleges for positions uh, in New Testament, and. I did not uh, really get anything back from that and until I one day found uh, in the classified ad section of the Providence Journal newspaper an advertisement for a part-time position as a pastor at a Quaker meeting in southeastern Massachusetts. So uh, imagine this newly minted PhD in religious studies and I had to look up Quakers in the religion dictionary. I'd heard of them, of course, but I'd never studied them. Although it was funny that when I went there, I was accepted, 
that when they heard me talk about early Christianity, they assumed I meant colonial Christianity and Quakerism as being part of early Christianity. I think uh, one of the main reasons they hired me, one is they needed uh, somebody to live in their parsonage, or maybe they would lose uh, possession of it. And uh, and they liked my family. They liked uh, my wife, my five daughters. And uh, so I think maybe there are other reasons, but uh, I think that was a large part of why they called me to be their part-time pastor. So I had to take a full-time job then as a computer services manager in uh, Middletown, Rhode Island, right next to Newport, Rhode Island. There were some hard times during those years. I had to to drive all the way to Newport uh, every day, all the way back, then spend evenings and weekends working on sermons and preparing the the, the bulletin for Sunday morning, creating the the newsletter and other things that a pastor does. Try to uh, try to go to the hospital if people are in the hospital. Going to the local uh, nursing home one Sunday a month, I think, to to do a service there. There was a point at which Sue Ann was diagnosed with cancer of the eyelid, and she had to go for radiation therapy. And this time, I think. She was working, and so she would drive to Providence to work, and then she would have to stop on her way and do this radiation therapy without me. Another problem at the time is that uh, as a morbidly obese person, I, I think I was undiagnosed for a while with sleep apnea, but it was while we were there that I, I, I began using a CPAP machine for my sleep apnea. I think also I suffered from depression that was undiagnosed. My dissertation was rejected for publication. Another publishing company, uh, I offered to write their commentary on Hebrews. The the two editors recommended me to the publishing company, but uh, they turned me down. I sent out CVs for teaching positions uh, and didn't get anywhere. There was a lot of good things about living in New England. Uh, it'd be a great place to retire to, that's for sure. Uh, we, I feel bad that we didn't take enough advantage. I think I only went out on the ocean twice in, you know, in boats. Um, don't think I ever swam in the ocean. There were a few times where we drove to the beach and watched uh, the waves uh, coming on shore. Certainly a, a beautiful area, one rich in history. One great thing was that the, the public school there had a strong tradition in band and orchestra. So three of our daughters learned to play band instruments and would be part of the marching band. So we would go to football games, uh, waiting through the, the first half just for the, the, the big show to begin at halftime to watch the marching band. And one of our daughters began to, to learn to play the violin because they, they had orchestra in that school. So that was all good things. Um, I managed to get some kind of freelance work as a content expert working on creating online uh, courses. Uh, I took on a project uh, of, of taking my interpreting ancient manuscripts documents and so on that I had created in this program HyperCard and ported it to a website where I had uh, had a semi-official appointment um, as a, 
of visiting something for the scholarly technology group at Brown University. There was uh, a time that I would uh, attend a meeting each year and talk to someone there about uh, the school where he was dean about teaching. After a couple of years, he, he did find a position for me, and I was hired in 2001 to, to go to this uh, theological seminary and to um, lead their, their distance learning program. While I was there, I also created and maintained websites for them, created and formatted institutional material for publication, made use of my programming language because uh, a company called uh, Live Code, that's not their name, but that's the name of the programming language, that was taken over from the HyperTalk language that I mentioned earlier. And I created a program for instructors to enter their student evaluations, and then that information emailed out as PDFs to whoever needed them. I was given an appointment as an assistant professor of New Testament studies. I was very grateful for that. I taught two courses per year. One is a two-week intensive in August, and then an online spring course. And I, I had a rotation of courses that I taught 10, 15 years of, of teaching. So I would do book studies in Romans, Philippians, James, Hebrews, the Gospel of John. And then I also had a course I taught a number of times that I called Jesus as Sage. Looking back on the experience, I don't think very many people really appreciated my emphasis on the letters of Paul and on the Hellenistic context. Because I wasn't a full-time teaching faculty member, my research and teaching was uh, tolerated but not really supported, and most of my academic research had to be done outside of regular working hours. During those years, there was a couple of years where I, I became a part-time pastor at a, a local meeting, but uh, while I was out on sabbatical, out of the country, I got a letter that uh, they, they called another person to be their pastor. It was this church that I uh, was a pastor at that um, I preached a series on the book of Hebrews and I worked hard on those sermons, writ wrote all them out and published a book, The Second Chance for the People of God. Something that's had the most impact on our lives, I think, happened uh, about 15 years ago. Sue Ann was uh, working at the uh, public library, taking care of our kids, our five daughters, she began having trouble with her eyesight. It was like a gray cloud coming over her eyes, and she went to her ophthalmologist, and right away he, he knew the, the signs and suggested that she uh, find a doctor, have her doctor, have her go in uh, to be tested for multiple sclerosis. And the, the result came back that, that she did have MS. So the years from them have been ones in which uh, her her health has failed, primarily her memory, uh, judgment, uh, her gait, of course, her walk, and, and a very odd symptom that uh, we, we talk about often is uh, referred to as inappropriate jocularity. So people find her a real hoot, uh, but when she goes to a doctor's appointment, for instance, and she's asked about her health and so on, she just can't help herself but, but make jokes. So I can tell her beforehand about it, but she won't remember. And she won't think afterwards that anything was, was wrong. 
She's been on a variety of uh, different drugs. She's on one now, just started, um, that's uh, infusion therapy that she has done every six months. So she's able to walk and get around, but uh, not uh, really able to, to function at any high level. She enjoys doing uh, word search puzzles and enjoys knitting. Uh, we, we sit together and, and watch TV. Maybe within a year of her diagnosis, she was able to go on disability and uh, had to leave her job. She couldn't uh, couldn't read the, the numbers on the books to reshelve books. And I just wanted to add that in there as, as part of uh, my own history. I think uh, I have no idea whether whether my interest in Stoic philosophy and Stoic philosophical practices is related to that. We did have the experience at one point when her when her mother passed away that we we went um, to back to her hometown and uh, the night before the funeral I was reading a book uh, about uh, Stoic philosophy and I read the chapter to her I was just coming up on it uh, about about death how to to view death I think we found both of us found it uh, very very helpful at that time I got to take a number of uh, sabbaticals. I also was the acting dean several times while the dean went on sabbatical. One of the sabbaticals, I was accepted in the National Endowment for the Humanities Classical Studies Summer Seminar at the American Academy in Rome. So I lived in Rome for a month and, and traveled to many museums and, and different areas. My research was focusing on the role of the household or philosophical advisor. So an important example is Philodemus, who was the philosophical advisor of Piso in the house in Her at Herculaneum, now known as the Villa of the Papyri, and where a lot of the, the papyri have been discovered and charred remains. So my focus um, was uh, on the context of the philosophical schools and how Paul might have been understood as a household advisor. So this is an important part of my rewriting Paul book. So I spent a lot of time taking pictures of frescoes and sculptures of men in beards because that was a way of depicting intellectuals like poets and philosophers. I got time to, at another sabbatical, to live in Bethlehem. That was the same sabbatical. I came home for a month and went for three months to live in Bethlehem and taught at the Bethlehem Bible College. Uh, it was quite a life-changing experience and one when I came back, I spent several years studying Arabic. And while I was there, I visited a lot of the historical and archaeological sites and also tried to learn about uh, the history of the establishment of the State of Israel and what Palestinians call the Nakba. I took to heart the advice I heard. Westerners who only take one side or the other are not being part of the solution. Almost a year ago now, uh, I was on sabbatical again. And while I was on sabbatical, I was called in by a new dean. The dean that I knew uh, retired and uh, left the school. The new dean called me in and informed me that the school no longer needed my services. So if it has seemed strange to you that I have not yet mentioned the name of the school, now you know why. So for the last year, I've been living off of my retirement fund and spending uh, full time writing the book that I just published in June of 2019. So that sort of brings you up to date 
and these these three introductory podcasts. I look forward to talking now more about the the context for the the writing of a rewriting of Paul and what I think it means for contemporary form of Christianity. Talk to you again. Mm-hmm.